think first thing I want to dive into is uh, just a little bit about yourself, I guess. Uh, tell the world like how you got on this path of finding the universe within. You know, how did you find the inspiration to uh, just reach out to people and have some introspective conversations? You know, how did you, uh, you know, align yourself with this certain kind of uh, lifestyle, this path, and why do you do it? Yeah, <clears throat> that's a good question. Um, first of all, thanks for thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, I guess that's always the big question is, you know, who, who we are, where we came from. Um, but I, uh, ever since I can remember, I was very interested in, in spirituality and religion and, and these questions of, of who am I? Why are we all here? what the hell is going on? Um, so I think there was something in me that, that just really had this longing uh, to, to answer these kind of questions. And um, so I, I got very interested in, in all sorts of different spiritual disciplines, uh, martial arts, yoga, Tai Chi, um, just really consuming as much kind of spiritual literature as I could, very fascinated in religions and, and kind of seeing the commonalities between them. Um, I got very interested in, in plant medicine and in, uh, in herbalism and traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, things like that. And eventually that led me down to the Amazon uh, because I, I became very interested in, in uh, kind of the way I was working with herbalism was much more in that kind of traditional allopathic sense of, of using plants to treat a symptom, to, to try and find the cure of it. But I had known for a long time and, and been very interested in, in more of this shamanic way of looking at things, that, that, that health wasn't just necessarily on the physical, that there was a, a mental emotional component to it and also a spiritual component, something that was experiential, that could be tapped into through various practices, but, but very much so through plants. Um, and so that led me down to the Amazon, where I became really interested in working with ayahuasca. Um, and that was a really kind of profound experience that I had. And serendipitously, I ended up staying in the Amazon. And that was about 10 years ago. And I, I've pretty much been there ever since. Uh, so really working deeply with, with that plant in particular and, and uh, doing a long process of not only working with that plant, but really beginning to, to, to learn from it in, in kind of the traditional way that the people who, who work with these plants uh, do that work. It's often referred to as dieting, going into a period of isolation, of fasting and, and working with these plants uh, to, to experience something. And, and I think that's a, it's, it's a very different concept than a lot of people are used to, which is this idea of having a direct experience of, of something. And, uh, and that really fascinated me. And uh, I, I, so I continued working with ayahuasca, other plants, uh, tobacco, especially, which may sound strange to, to a lot of viewers, because, you know, often when we think of tobacco, we're thinking of like cigarettes or smoking, but in the Amazon, that's considered one of the main plant teachers. And uh, when you ingest it in its liquid form, it's a, it's a very powerful plant. And uh and eventually I find myself just doing that work more and more beginning to, to find myself on the other end of that, not just experiencing it, but beginning to, to, to work as someone who, who guides in that experience. 
And then to, to kind of get to your question about the, the podcast, uh, it was something I thought about doing for a long time um, because I, I felt there was really a, a lack of quality information out there about how this work was really being done and what the roots of it were. Uh, so it was really the, the design was to, to give people a, a platform, uh, people who I have a lot of respect for and who I think can be good ambassadors of, of this work and, and not just plant work, but you know, again, for me, I think all of these paths are pointing towards something very, very unique and very similar. Uh, and so trying to get, uh, you know, good knowledge and wisdom out there. And the the title, The Universe Within, it was actually an ode to, to one of my first teachers, whose name was uh, Dr. David Jubbs, and he used to do a series called The, the Universe Inside. So I didn't want to just completely copy his name. So I, sure. I based it on on that, The, the Universe Within. And, uh, and And that's how that started. That's awesome, man. <clears throat> so did you um, have the ex that direct experience with ayahuasca and then came out of it and said, wait a second, I got to I got to do something with this. You know, I can't just let this let this uh, dwell in the past. Like, you, did you come out of that and say, I need to tell the world or I need to work with this thing more? Um. I think there's always, <laughs> it, it, it's something that, that the more I do this work, uh, we, we often warn people about, which is kind of this like evangelical proselytizing quality of, of sometimes when we have these really uh, big or direct experiences, there is this, this kind of desire to, to want to share it with the world because it, it can be something that's very life-changing, very uh, just a complete shift of our perception of the world. Um, I think I had that to some degree, but, but that wasn't where the podcast came out of because that was, uh, close to 10 years ago when that happened. Um, but it, again, it was more of a serendipitous thing where the, the place where I experienced that at was looking for people to come down and, and to help to, to, to run this center. Uh, so I, I found myself just, uh, kind of on the other side of that, of beginning to, to help to, to, to work with the indigenous healers and, and to help guide those ceremonies. And the podcast is about a year old now. So, you know, that was kind of fast forwarding nine years. Um, and that really came when I felt I, I had a better grasp of what was going on. And, and I also felt there was a need to, to give myself to some extent, but, but even more so other people uh, a platform to, to begin to share that knowledge. Um, but the, it didn't really come until, you know, it was interesting because it, it, it coincided with the whole pandemic that, that we've been going through. And, um, my, my work schedule was very intense. I, I was in the Amazon. So the internet connection is, is other than the best. Um, but because of the pandemic, I found myself outside of the Amazon where, where I am now here in the, the Peruvian Andes, um, and I found myself with more time and also with a better internet connection. And, and uh, I was also interviewed by a couple of friends of mine and it just, uh, there was something inside me that said, okay, this is, this is the time to, to do it. Mm. That's awesome, man. Now, how many times have you done ayahuasca, you think? I, I really don't know. It's it's a question I've been asked uh, before, and it's uh, it's not something I've ever kept track of. But but a lot of times, because uh, a big part of my work was facilitating ayahuasca ceremonies, so kind of being the bridge between the the the, the healers or in, in in the local language, they're often referred to as a, a curandero, one who one who cures, one who heals. Um, they can also be referred to as a medico, a doctor. 
Vegetalista, uh, someone who works with plants, a shaman, absolutely. Uh, so kind of acting as the bridge between them and, and the guests who were coming down, who tend to be predominantly more from Western cultures, places like the US, Canada, Europe, Australia. Um, so kind of acting as that bridge because it's, for many people, it is a very different worldview. It's a, it's a very different cosmovision. So to, to be able to help to facilitate that process, to, to kind of translate uh in in a language that that most of us are more familiar with what may be going on what may be happening with their experience so um part of that process was drinking quite regularly one for my own uh experience to be able to to have an experiential understanding of what's actually happening in that process and then also within that ceremonial context working with ayahuasca as well as part of being that bridge so um you know, it's, it's, I've drank a lot, um, but it, it, you know, it also depends that there's a real difference between drinking for oneself, uh, kind of going and doing that internal work versus drinking in a ceremonial context to, to be able to, to kind of tap into that space and that energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned before how you said uh, how important it is for you didn't go through the diet and prepare for the ceremony. Do you think that's necessary? Like if I just ordered some ayahuasca to my house, which anybody can do, by the way, not recommending it, but you could, <laughs> if I just ordered it to my house and decided to make ayahuasca, um, how much different would you say that experience is than if I were to go through like a ceremony at your place? Uh, well, you can, you, you can order the ingredients. Uh, you can also order the brew. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure now you can find online how to prepare it, how to cook it. Um, but it would be very different. And uh, I think to many people that may not make a lot of sense. It's like if, you know, you can go online and find a recipe of how to prepare a chamomile tea. Um, you know, you, you get the, the flowers and you add hot water and you let it steep for a while and, and then you have this brew. Um, but I think the, the thing that separates a lot of what we would call plant medicines or, or, or teacher plants is that they're not just operating on, on the physical realm. There, there's a, there's a, a component where they, they have a tremendous ability to heal physical ailments, but they also have an ability to heal mental, emotional things that we're working on. And on another level, they, they take us into this realm of spirit, which may be kind of difficult for some people to understand, but this deeper connection about who we are, where we come from, what our place in, in the world is, what our place in the universe is. And so when preparing that medicine or, or any of these very strong medicines, it's not just the physical component of how to prepare that. It's not just as simple as I add X amount of this and Y amount of this, and then I have ayahuasca. Um, there's, there's, you know, so many factors of where do I get that medicine from? How, how old is the vine? Where are the leaves coming from? Uh, what's the ratio that I do it? When do I prepare it? How do I prepare it? Uh, am I fasting during that process when I'm cooking it? Am I, am I working with other plants like tobacco and, and blessing it? Am I singing to it? What's my intention? Mm -hmm. What's the work I've done that's gone into my process to be able to prepare that? And that may sound crazy, but again, um, 
you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a very common thing that I'll hear is even people have worked with maybe ayahuasca in Boston, you know, let's say, and, and they may have even had a, a very good experience. And, and then they come down to the jungle and work with doctors who have done this work their whole lives. And almost universally, there's, there's a very similar experience where they say like, oh, this is what this medicine is about. Like what I experienced was, was great. It was beneficial, but it's a whole nother ball game of, of what's being experienced now. So, I mean, that's the, so, so one could order it or, or prepare it oneself, but it would be a very different experience. And an analogy that I and others often use is, you know, ultimately this work, I think you can relate it to something like heart surgery and maybe even more so. And in that way, like, of course, you could perform open heart surgery on yourself. Uh, that's a possibility. Um, would that be recommended? Probably not. Uh, you, you may be able to do it. You may have some amazing experiences, but you're also potentially opening yourself up to, to, to having a, a not so good experience. And, and so I think like anything, when, when we're going into something as, as deep and profound as, a, as an open heart surgery, you, you would really want to work with a doctor who, who knows how to do that. Yeah, that's interesting, man. So you need the, you need the literal guide, like the navigator to go and navigate these, uh, these spirit worlds or the spirit world. And that is like, it goes beyond rational concept to really say that to somebody that hasn't experienced that. But I mean, I guess if you know that that's how it has to be, then I could totally see that making sense. Like, yes, of course I need these people here to like almost guide me through. Cause it's, I feel like the, um, you know, the ayahuasca DMT psilocybin realm at high doses is so far disconnected from the Western world and our ideals and how we've been brought up and how our mind has been conditioned that if you don't, if you go into those experiences with just, just trying it out, maybe one day just for fun, um, it's probably not going to be too fun. <laughs> Most likely it's going to throw you a curveball, what you really think you are, what your whole being is and you know what it means to be a human being. And the list goes on. It's just going to be so far there's no words to explain it there's no rational concept to really explain it but the problem is our our western world relies on that rationality that kind of like i have to explain these things and i have to just like a sense of like logic when sometimes these things are just um they go beyond that like that paradigm that we built up and it's it's i totally agree with you like with the set and setting you know the idea of set and setting is so important it really is. It's more than just the the substance. It's more than just the the chemical. It's the whole package of the psychedelic experience. It's the whole thing that brings us to, um, I don't know, what would you say? So we need the guides. We need the navigation, right? What are they guiding us to? What is this navigation for, if you could explain it? So, we, so what is the difference, would you say, if you could explain between doing a solo trip, making some ayahuasca brew in your house, and then actually having the guidance, like what, what would you say, personally, you've gotten more out of the, um, the ceremonial aspect of it, rather than just say doing it yourself? Well, I, I think a, an important thing to always remember is, is where do these, these plants and these traditions come from, and they're not isolated things. And, 
so like anything to to extract something without understanding that as you said the set and setting from which they come from is 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 very naive in a way and and in a way i think you could even look at it as as stealing in a way mm. uh, you're you're taking one aspect of something but not understanding the entire picture uh, you know even if you can order ayahuasca you didn't make that so mm. <laughs> you know it's it, it's you're already getting it from somewhere else. Even if you brew it, where did that knowledge come from of how it was brewed? Uh, you know, none of that is just free. None of that is like your own doing. It, it, it comes from a very long lineage of, of whether that's trial and error or other people's direct experiences, other people's traditions. Uh, so I think in a way to not honor that is, is in a way very disrespectful. And it's not just with ayahuasca. I think if you look at any of these plants, whether that's uh, mushrooms or um, working with with marijuana, or you know, even in a lot of Western culture, I think there's a growing body of evidence of of the the, the sacredness that a lot of these plants were pointing towards. Uh, I, I think a really good book, if your audience hasn't heard of it, is uh, Brian, I think his name is Brian Moresco. He, he, he wrote a, a really good book recently called The Immortality Key about how potentially even the origins of things like Christianity were based on plant medicine uh, sacraments. And <clears throat> I think something that that all of these things uh, share, whether you look at at, at Judaic uh, early rites or Vedic rites, uh, you, you look in more of a Western context of the rites of Ulysses or the, the Dionysian rites. It was never just one person who was taking these things by themselves. There was always a ceremonial context. There was always a tremendous amount of preparation. I mean, you, you look at Ulysses and it was like something people would do once in their lives. And they did a tremendous amount of preparation and pilgrimage and sacrifice and, and eventually this elaborate ritual. Uh, and as they would describe, it was so that they could die in order to be reborn. And I think that's a really common motif in, in a lot of these traditions, even in ayahuasca, the, that, that's a Quechua word and it means vine of the dead. And I think a lot of people disregard that, but uh, it's something you see in shamanic traditions all over the world is, is I think if you had to boil it down to one common motif, the, the motif would be death. And the idea being that, that these plants, these rituals, these rites are taking us into our death, which is something that we're very, I think in a lot of the cultures we come from, it, it's something we, we really push away. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not something we talk about. It's not something we really want to ponder. It's something we almost avoid at all costs. Uh, I, I think the current pandemic we're in is a prime example of that. Uh, we're, we're in a way shutting down life, trying to avoid death because there's so much fear around that because it's not something that we've really gone into deeply. And so to answer your question, uh, like why are those, those rites and rituals so important? It's because that's how that's how that knowledge was passed down. And it's a very different thing if we're just doing something recreationally and there's nothing wrong with doing something recreationally. You know, all of these plants can be worked with in different ways. There's all sorts of different plants that can be worked with. But again, 
throughout history, these very powerful plants were always used in a very specific way, in a way that commanded a lot of respect, uh, a lot of ritual, a lot of sacrifice, in order to experience the essence of what these plants were actually trying to teach. And you know, it's not inherently just to have a nice vision and to see some things and then go and tell your buddies that, oh, you know, this was a great experience and you should really do it. You know, ultimately, it was a, an extremely, extremely challenging experience that was bringing us into this death-like state so that we could truly be alive, so that we could truly be happy, be joyful, uh, experience bliss, experience love, experience peace, experience contentment, uh, connection, union. I think all of these words that, that all of these spiritual traditions are pointing towards, which is at the root of what these things are trying to get to. Um, but we can only get to that through, uh, I think, a, a real understanding and a knowledge of, as you said, the set and setting of, of how these things were worked with. Mm -hmm. Well said. Yeah, I see them as tools. I mean, the whole experience is a tool. It's a, it's a tool to reprogram our mind and reprogram, maybe quite literally rewire our brains so that we kind of reach a different view on why we're here, how we're here, might not have it all figured out, but at least we have a different perspective to look at life at. And I think that's kind of what these things do. And that whole rebirth experience for me is a rebirth of how I view myself. You know, it's not like I literally physically die and come back to life, even though it may feel like that sometimes on the, in these uh, ecstatic states, but it's like a sense of, it's almost like a simulation of death of who you thought you were or, or how you thought the world was. And then you do become in a sense reborn with a different viewpoint of the world, but it's, you're still, it's the, it's like everything is different, but it's all the same at the, you know, it's hard to explain. It, it, it's just really changing up how you, um, I guess, respond to things, how you view things, um, how you view your own life. It's really just switching the, um, like I said, you switch the viewpoint up in your life. You, you totally, for me at least, I I went through, um, you know, large amounts of psilocybin and from those heroic doses, it's like it showed me a different way, showed me a different, um, it's a different path of life. And then from there, that's cool. I had the experience, but that never leaves me. Like I, I forever will have that in the back of my head that ultimately that death experience. And then, oh, I had the death experience, but I'm still here. I'm still okay. Like I'm still, it's, it's okay. It's like, once you confront your own demise in this body, your own, your own death, your own perishing, you almost like simulating it in a way you become reborn as this, as the, it's like a, a, a being that seems to be with a little less fear. I'm not going to say I don't have fear. Maybe I just see fear in like a different light now where I don't, I mean, I'm not gonna say I don't fear death because I think we all do deep down, but I have a different viewpoint of what that is. It's not exactly like an end point. It's not exactly like taboo as we like to think of it in our culture. More so, it's like embracing it now, knowing that it's inevitable and knowing that maybe the journey goes on. <laughs> maybe it's not the end per se. 
Maybe we just <clears throat> become reborn again. Maybe we just metamorphosize into something else. Either way, I think what I went through with these psychedelic experiences, it, it kind of showed me a different way to look at it. Whatever happens afterwards, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. We'll figure it out. But the viewpoint that I have on it now as I'm living is definitely changed from when before I had these experiences for sure. And other people can attest to that as well. You know, I think there's a, a lot of people that kind of don't really view their deaths in the same way as they did before a psychedelic experience, if integrated correctly, if done with the right, you know, ceremonial aspect. And uh, it's amazing. Like, isn't that so liberating? Like, what is a more liberating idea to our psyche than being able to not fear dying or at least have like i said a different viewpoint of it because our our entire world that's the number one thing in all of our heads most likely like deep down i'm pretty sure people's biggest fear is dying and we just like you said we like to shoot away we like to not think about it but i mean it sounds morbid but i think about it every day but i don't think about it as like oh shit am i gonna die i don't want to go out of the house like i don't want to do this i don't want to do that if anything it gives me more volition to live knowing that this could be it today could be my last day it gives me more um more gumption in my in my actions it gives me more uh just vitality because it makes me want to live like while i am here in this temporary existence known as gary in this body i'm going to do uh the best of my ability to create a better world for other people that are also in this experience with me um it gives me like a sense of uh i guess encouragement <laughs> to live this temporary fleeting life as we approach that inevitable death that i already experienced and simulated it's a it's a beautiful thing man it's it really is and you know people do mushrooms ayahuasca peyote the list goes on dmt whatever it is and i think the majority of people don't have that experience they, they just do it. They just like the colors. They like the feelings. They like, the, which is all great. But I always like to tell, ask people like, all right, but well, what did you, you know, what did you get from that? Was there anything like that you like know now that maybe you don't know, or maybe you think a little differently, or maybe you see the world a little differently. And I've spoken to a lot of people that just not, not on that, that wavelength that we're talking about right now. And it is unfortunate, but I think it is because we don't do it in the right way. Like you said, the, the Eleusian mysteries, and probably many other ceremonies and rituals like that, um, they set the standard for us to be able to use these things how they were supposed to be used, and which is like a whole plan. Like it's like they they know exactly, like it's already like they're they're preparing to enter the spirit realm. That's essentially what it is. Like you're already almost there. You're approaching the door of the spirit realm before you go, and all you need to unlock the door is some chemical component, and then once you're there. It's like, um, I guess it's, I guess you could say it's like a different universe. Maybe it's just expanding the universe a little bit more. You know, our viewpoint is right here. Maybe we're just seeing a little bit more either way. If you want to, if you want to, I don't want to say get the most from it. Cause it's not, we go to get there to get anything like egotistically, but I guess if you want to experience the most from it and have that direct experience and, um, really better yourself, become a more peaceful person, a happier person. Um, 
yeah, you have to go through in the right way. 100%, 100%. And uh, yeah, man, I don't really know what to ask you from here. <laughs> well, also, you know, like you said, it's interesting because I remember reading a study and they, they asked people what their main fear was. And fear of death was interestingly number two. Uh, number one was fear of public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I believe and, that. Uh, I believe and, but, uh, you know, I think that's that also makes sense in a way because it, it comes from, as you said, not really pondering death or not really going into that. And so, you know, it seems kind of silly in a way to imagine that we would be more afraid of speaking in front of a group of people than we would death because, you know, no matter how bad public speaking is, we'll still get out the other end from it. <laughs> uh, and we do know that, whereas death mm -hmm. is a much bigger mystery. Um, and, you know, there, even more recently, there, there's there's been a lot more kind of quote unquote scientific work of, about what's happening with a lot of these, these plants. And, uh, you know, Johns Hopkins just did a, an amazing study where they were working with terminally ill patients. And I believe it was something like three out of four of those patients who who worked with psilocybin again in 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 a in a ceremony you know I would call it a ceremonial setting it, it, very different from maybe what some people would refer to as a traditional ceremonial setting, but in a more modern context it was a ceremonial setting. There was they were in a in a in a, in a very specific place. There was these people who had, you know, white lab coats on, or they were, they were, they had official titles like doctors and scientists, and they were, they were given that, and they were given, uh, you know, music to listen to, and, and, and a very specific kind of uh, objective of what to, to work with and what to, to look for. And, and three out of four of those people describe that experience as, as one of the top three, if not the top most profound experience of their lives. And, and these people who were in a way forced to look at death because they were given a diagnosis that you only have X amount of time to live and you know, a relatively short amount of time. So that was very much in their consciousness, very much in their awareness. And they came out of that experience and and as many people would describe, they had a sense of peace after that. They they weren't so afraid of dying. They they would often use words like God, like I I was I was kissed by God, I was held by God, and I was shown this beauty, and that I, I realized that I don't need to be afraid of where I'm going. And you know, that that's a tremendous uh that, that's a tremendously beautiful thing. And you know, also, as you mentioned, why are some people's experiences different? Well, a, a big thing is, is who is the person coming to that experience? What are they looking for? What are the stakes that they're willing to go into? Like, what is that longing within them? That, that's, that's, what is it looking for? And, you know, ultimately, if we are looking for to experience pretty objects and colors and to have that kind of experience, it's much more likely that that's what we're going to experience. If we are on our deathbeds and, and we go in with that kind of knowledge of how can I come to peace with this, that very well may, may be where the experience is heading towards. So, you know, much like a, I think is a, is a very uh, kind of quantum physicist idea of looking at the world, like you can't separate the observer and the observed. You know, even with these plant medicines, you can't take away the person who's going through that experience. That person brings a tremendous amount 
to that experience. And so what they're looking for, what, what their, their capacity is, has a tremendous amount of impact in that experience. You look at, at, at ancient Egypt. I mean, it seems like so much of, of all of those elaborate rites and rituals was preparing people for the death experience and ultimately being able to free oneself when, when one entered the underworld and was judged that their heart had to be as light as a feather. And I think that's very symbolic of, of through this life, shedding away all of those things that are keeping us heavy, that are weighing us down, all of the, the hatred, the anger, the, the judgment, the, the fears, and slowly beginning to release those so that when we come to our final judgment, our heart is free and we're able to, to enter, as they would say, the, the, the afterlife or the, the life of eternity. Um, so... Yeah, you know, it's uh, that that's a huge part, again, as you said, is is the set and setting. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful, man. It's healing. Like, it's like we're, we're sick, like we're born here in this body. Not 100%. There's something wrong, I guess, in a way, even though it's, it's not there's nothing wrong. It's all perfect. But it's like we have to do some kind of work here. We're not just here to hang out. It seems like we're here to heal our being collectively at least at this point in time i don't know how it's going to be in the future maybe we'll all be perfect beings but it seems like we're not we're not aligned with that like kind of like a vibrational frequency of um you know just creating a better world creating a better life for yourself truly healing yourself there's something like we're just stuck like we're not from a young age at least in the western world we're not conditioned on that mindset we're not there's no sense of healing it's just kind of if you have a problem, here's some pills. If you have some kind of ailment, just put, you know, just treat it. Don't exactly heal yourself. It's just kind of something where you just treat it, ignore it, move on, go on Netflix. You know, it's not something that we really, we don't take the time, it seems, to, to really dive deep into our beings. I mean, we're getting there, definitely, just by us having this conversation is, is proof that, like, you know, people all over the world are, are actually, you know, like, wait a second, hold on a second. Let me, let me try and live a little bit differently. Let me try and help myself. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to heal yourself. I think to be able to be on that, that wavelength, not saying that I'm a hundred percent a healed individual. What I'm saying is that as long as you can get yourself on that mindset of that, you are the healer that you are the one that is capable of um, truly seeing past what you think is holding you back and then truly living the life and living your purpose here. Because I think we all have a, even though we're all going to perish in these bodies, I think we all have a purpose of why we came to incarnate in these bodies. And um, it's different for everybody, but I think there's no accidents in this universe. There's we're all here for some kind of reason. And these plant medicines, if used in the right way, deprogram us from the reason that we've been told. And they allow us, if used correctly, to program us ourselves into our dharma, as they say, the, you know, our, our, our essence and why we're supposed to be here, like a kind of alignment with maybe some say God, infinite consciousness, um, the one, whatever you want to call it, uh, the source, a lot of different names for it, but it allows you to, allows me at least to 
um, align myself with a, a purpose that's greater than just fulfilling my sensual pleasures, you know, more than just trying to have some fun. It's more, it's like, it's, it's realizing that this whole, what it means to be a human being goes way greater than just trying to enjoy it. Even though enjoying it is a hundred percent part of the journey. But to, I think in order to truly enjoy it, to truly get the most out of what it means to be here, um, you need to live for something. Like find enjoyment in the journey itself. And if you're just living day to day, just kind of going through the motions, just trying to feel good and trying to uh, <laughs> trying to shoo away not feeling good, it's you're missing the point. Like there's, I think there's a purpose for all of us here, whether it's, whether it's, you know, being, being the shaman, being the painter, being a cook, being a race car driver, whatever it is. I don't know. It's different for everybody, but we all have to come to that realization within ourselves. And I think it's possible and it's possible because of these plant medicines. I don't know. You can definitely do it without it for sure. Like 100%, you could follow your Dharma, follow the Dharma, the Dharma, you know, the, the reason why we're here, the purpose of this universe, the way some may say, you can follow that and get aligned with that. It's just sometimes you need that spark. You know what I mean? Like you need that, like that catalyst to be able to find the path. And then once you can find that path, you, you, you have to walk it. We all have to walk it. You know what I'm trying to say? Like there's, it's, it's definitely possible. Like, do you think you would be aligned with the spirit that you're on right now, that you're aligned to the frequency that you're aligned to, if it wasn't for plant medicine, like what was you, who, what were you before ayahuasca or whatever you, you know, you decide to, to take. And then what, how, what do you like now? Like, is there, what's the before and after like, and do you think you'd be able to be in the mindset and headspace that you're in now, if it wasn't for ayahuasca or the other plant medicines? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. I, and you know, I think sometimes these kind of dichotomies they're, they're useful. Like you, you spoke about in the West, and um, and and I often use those too because, like anything, when we reduce things, we we can begin to to compartmentalize and speak about things. But you know, even behind you, for example, there there's a statue of Buddha, and that's a that's a what we would call an Eastern person, and yet he was speaking to exactly what you were speaking of two thousand years ago in 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 Nepal in India. And, and pointing towards that very same thing, saying that, that, that suffering is inherent and it's, it wasn't just inherent to people in the East or people in the West, it was universally, it was the human condition that there's something that was missing, something that we're all longing for. They, they speak a lot about that in, in a lot of the indigenous communities in the Amazon, that, that there was this calling that humanity was suffering. And so that there was this calling and, and spirit answered and, um, Without going too much into it, they would say uh, some of these 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 uh, these these people have the, the, these stories, like that spirit answered the calling, and they transcended the twelve dimensions of time and space, and, and came upon this this beautiful earth. But they saw that that humanity was lost in the 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 madness, the 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 madness of they would call the theater of life, and they had forgotten who they were, they had forgotten where they came from, My and so they. They brought these plant medicines to be able to aid these people to remember who they were, to remember them where their home was. 
And so, as you said, these things were tools and <clears throat> like any tool, is it necessary? No. I mean, you can have a nail and you don't need a hammer to put that nail in. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find a rock, you can find a, a, a log, but that, that hammer is designed to very well to, to nail that nail into its place. And I think the fascinating thing about a lot of these plants are that yeah, I think it like many people were still under this impression that that almost like these plants are somehow cheating because it's like we're taking something from the outside to try and spark something that's on the inside. And that was even something I, I used to think about. But I think that's actually a, an incorrect way of looking at it because none of these plants are introducing anything from the outside. All they're doing is turning on something that's already dormant from the inside. Mm -hmm. We already have these receptors built into our bodies. So that's in a way, those are the hammers that are, that are or, or like a key that's unlocking something that's already inside of us. We have all these receptors that are already in us that these plants are activating, that these things are laying dormant, almost waiting to be activated. And again, to disregard the tremendous amount of respect and reverence and, and stories and beliefs that, that so many people around the world have, that the, the power of these plants uh, offer us. And so, yes, they are tools, but they were considered tools of the highest order. And as you said, in a way, I think many, many of the other spiritual practices that the people may be familiar with things like going out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and and not eating and uh, going into a cave a dark cave and doing a similar thing or going on a vision quest uh, fasting chanting all of these things are, are really doing the same thing that, that a, a plant medicine is doing everything all right yeah, uh, somehow. I can hear you. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Somehow my computer screen just uh, switched off. Um, oh, we're, but yeah, we're good to it looks go. like I'm back. Okay. Um, but that essentially, you know, all of these things are, as you said, tools, and and they're they're different ways to access the same thing. Uh, I think these plants have just been seen as a as a very direct way to access that, and a very very powerful tool. Um, if we can find another way, then great. Uh, it's not that inherently one way is better than another way. Um, but again, I think when people look all over the world, uh, I think there's a growing body of evidence that shows that, that so many of these spiritual traditions use these plants to induce that experience, to, to be able to truly learn. And, and that's why these, these plants are often referred to as teacher plants, that they're actually teaching us something. That, that as you kind of alluded to, like we're born in this, you know, some people may say we're born in a state of wholeness and then we begin to lose that, uh, or we are born incomplete. And the goal of life is to, to, to find that completion. Well, in order to do that, it's kind of a paradox because we have to do something. There's a, there's a saying in, in Zen, which is in order to find, we have to seek. But then as long as we're seeking, we'll never find. And I think that points to something very profound. You know, we can't do nothing and expect to change. We have to do something. We, we have to go on a journey. We have to seek. 
but ultimately in a way that seeking is to to go back into the essence of who we are uh, which has been described as in various ways, but as as home, as God, as this ever eternal present moment, as the here and now. But we have to go on that journey. And, and however we go on that journey, we will need teachers, we will need tools, we will need teachings that can help to aid us in that. And, and so to disregard any teaching that 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 through time immemorial, people have given a tremendous amount of respect and reverence to. I think would be silly and, and it would be a bit arrogant. And I think that's where a lot of our suffering comes from is because in that arrogance, we're, we're very quick to dismiss these things because we maybe can't understand them or we're actually afraid to go into them. And so we avoid them. But in that avoidance, we end up perpetuating the very thing that's, that's keeping us unhappy or suffering from the beginning. So very much as you said, it, it, it's not that any of these plants are inherent they're all gifts and that's how they've always been seen they've been seen as gifts from spirit uh and and if we're able to use those in a way that honors that then there's a tremendous amount of teaching to be had from that oh yeah <clears throat> i think terence began has a story that he's told where there is a there's a monk that brags to the people and he says i have meditated for 40 years behold and now i'm able to levitate to the other shore of the river the other shore of existence and, you know, he's telling the village people and then one of the other villages just says, well, yeah, but the ferry is only five cents. <laughs> so it's kind of like that same idea. You can, we're all going to the other shore, uh, but it's just, I guess, how you decide to get there. That And the other shore is just like a different way to live, a different mindset. Like, yeah, and a certain alignment that you can tune yourself to. Um, I always wonder, do you think, like, I, I had this thought the other day, uh, maybe in the future we're not going to need these these medicines like even though they are part of our past and they're coming up there's you know we're, we're living through the uh the psychedelic renaissance some people say do you think in the future we're not going to need these because we are going to be the being that we were supposed to be because if if we need these these teachers and we need certain healers that implies that we're sick so do you ever think that will reach a point in the human condition where we're not, we don't need to be healed. We're on that mindset of, you know, where we need to be. Do you see, do you foresee that? Or do you think we have this kind of alliance with these plant medicines that are like a part of our being there forever, pretty much as long as we're human and we're not, you know, cyborgs, <laughs> as long as we're in this organic body, do you think there, we have this certain special relationship with the plant medicines and essentially the earth? I think so, yeah, and, and it's a great question. And, but much like I, I think you said is we are human organisms and, uh, and no matter how much we, we get away from that, we can never avoid the fact that we are humans. And, and what does it mean to be human? Uh, I, again, I think the pandemic is, is a really good example of that. Like, what does it mean to be alive? Like, is, is human touch important? Is community important? Is love important? Is connection important? And if the answer is no, then we could potentially remain locked down in our houses forever and everything would be fine. But I think as hopefully we've already begun to see and, and we will begin to see, that's, that's an antithesis to life. Life can't survive like that. 
as a human organism, we require certain things. We require water, we, we require food, we require sunshine. Uh, and that's on the physical level. We, uh, you know, on a mental, emotional level, we require uh, love, we require connection, we require kindness. And on the spiritual level, we require uh, a, a quest to understand who we are, our, our place in the world. What does it mean to be alive? <clears throat> And I think those are things that we can never get around. And, and again, going back to that idea of the Buddha, again, that's what he was pointing towards is that there's this longing, there's this suffering that's inherent to a human being. And no matter how technologically advanced we get, uh, you know, it, it, it's another really interesting topic. Like, as you, as you were saying, like, as we begin to merge more with AI and, and, you know, how far down that road can we get? And ultimately, I don't think there's still a limit to that because as long as we're a human being, we can't get away from the fact that we're a human being and that requires certain things. And also I think a lot of traditional cultures point to this idea that, which is very different from in, in our modern world, how we look at, at things, which is that the time is linear and we're constantly growing and, and this point in humanity is the most advanced ever and and it's only going to get more and yet to my knowledge that's not how ever any traditional society has ever looked at the world they they always look at it in terms of cycles in terms of birth and death uh, much like a heartbeat a heartbeat isn't continuously getting faster and, and moving towards a, a non-beating state. It's, it's always expanding, contracting, expanding, contracting. Our breath is the same thing. You know, breath, it, it comes from the word respirar, which means to be filled with spirit. So spirit has always been correlated to the idea of breath. And again, this idea of expansion, contraction, that's what it means to be alive, to expand and to contract. If you look from a, like a Taoist perspective, it's the same thing. It's always the balance between night and day, action and non-action, doing and non-doing. And it, I, those are universal principles. And, and I think those are things that we can't get away from because that's actually mean, that's what it means to be alive. Uh, if, if we get away from those things, there would be no more life. And so in that way, uh, uh, again, I, I think looking at these, these ancient ideas that we go through cycles and we may go through cycles where we are in a, a much more elevated state of consciousness, uh, a place where we don't need as much healing because maybe that healing has been done on a personal level, on a societal level, on a worldwide level. And, and we live in a, in a golden era, an era of beauty and, and peace and, and, and love and uh, community and, and uh, where, where we're operating on a, on, a, on a, you may say a higher level. And then we may end up in, in darker eras, in like the dark ages, where it's a period of warfare, of suppression, of, of poverty, of, uh, you know, disease and sickness. And, and I, I, you know, I would imagine that's how life will continue. And, and so there's always this longing, there's always this search. Uh, it's a constant, in a way, battle between lightness and darkness. And, and much like a pendulum, we, we can swing to different extremes. And in a way, that's just how the universe works, is, is we have to go to those extremes to then begin to realize the, 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 the things that are lacking. And, and again, much like the Buddha was pointing towards, it's to find the middle way. But we seem as humans to never be able to hold that, 
Mm. even like that word sin in a Christian sense, it, it comes from that idea of, of missing the mark, missing the center, like an archer who's always trying to hit the center, but we never quite do. We're always a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left, a little bit too high, a little bit too low. And so it's a constant process of trying to come to the center. And yeah, I think another universal principle is this idea that we're never always in the center. You know, we always uh, are a little bit off center and we constantly have to come back. Mm. Yeah. I think the beginning to centering yourself is the awareness, like first becoming aware that that's what you just described was, first of all, that was great. That was beautiful. And I think it starts with, you know, this whole journey, this whole spiritual process this whatever we're going through, whatever we're talking about here. It's like realizing that, yeah, being a human being, we're faulty beings. We're not exactly perfect yet. We're, we're perfectly imperfect or imperfectly perfect. And yeah, there is some kind of like, there's something that we're, we're trying to do here. It's like to stay in that, that, that flow state in a way to recognize the ups and the downs of this life. And uh, yeah, that's just like, that's yin and yang, you know, that's the, that's the story of this world. I put it at, at the simplest level, this universe is, it's, it's cyclic in nature, cyclic, whatever the word is, it's, you know, it's a cycle. We are, and the thing is, is it's, we are part of that cycle. We are that cycle. Like there's some kind of the, the viewpoint that we're talking about throughout this whole conversation is it aligns you, aligns me at least more with that cycle. It helps me realize that I am of this world. I am in this world. I am, I am the world. <laughs> I am the universe. Uh, and that helps me understand a lot more my place in this body, in this universe, knowing the, how this, it's just, it's all cycles, everything, no matter how large or how small it is, it doesn't really matter. Like wh whatever the, the reaction, the, as we move through time, we are constantly moving through in this nature of cycles of on and off life and death, um, just polarity, black and white. But I think, yes, the, the purpose if there is a purpose to being a human being is defining the gray area is to be being able to align yourself with the gray area, non-duality, you know, to be able to not, not splay too much to one side or, or the other and to ride the line. Like we, being a human being is somewhere we're in the middle We're we're alive yet we're dead at the same time. It's um, it's a very far out idea. It's like we're we're in between. We are the in between of these cycles. If you are able to reach that non dual state, you realize that non dual state is between everything and nothing at the same time. We're between life and death, and that that's the flow. That's the Tao. You know, that's the that's the forever flow that we're on. And yeah, like you said, it's. For some reason, it's just hard to stay on that. <laughs> I think that's the journey, though. That's the path. Like, why we're here is to be able to align ourselves with that, and then maybe it goes beyond this body. Once you once you can align yourself to that, 
maybe it extends into another lifetime or you become another being after you're dead after you're dead in this body or you know you evolve into something else who knows nobody really knows but i think there is a certain sense of tuning in to something that mindset that we just spoke about and then once you tune in yeah you're probably going to tune out here and there you're going to get lost in the sauce as i like to say your your mind is just going to get sucked into some happening of the world, some drama of your life maybe, but you can always tune back in to that sense of connectivity with the flow, with the cyclic nature of this universe. Um, and from there, man, that's liberation to me. It's, a, it's an ultimate liberating of the story that we like to tell ourselves, the, the story of our egos, where our egos tell us to be afraid that you can't do this, to fall into the narrative that we've been programmed into. That's not the true narrative. You can tune into the real narrative of what it means to be a human being. And that is a, that's a process that never really ends. I think once you tune in, it's a forever tuning in process. You don't just tune in and that's it. You know, it's to me, at least it's like just constantly being able to, as long as I am able to tune the radio dial to that frequency, that's the most important thing. The frequency dial may may go to different stations here and there. That's okay. We have the tools. We have the um, the practices that allow us to be able to tune in to the forever flow, as I like to call it, the Tao, the way, whatever whatever word you want to put on it. There is a certain kind of there's a certain kind of alignment that I think we can all. We can all get there. And yeah, I, I like how you said, uh, it's like, yeah, be, that is just part of the human condition. It's like almost like being it's like, what are we're here to figure out what we are. And if these plant medicines um, are here for us to kind of teach us what we are in a certain way, then yeah, if as long as we're human, we're going to probably need these things until we are these cybernetic organisms that have reached singularity and know everything about this world, if that's even what we're going toward. As long as we're in this organic um, meat suit, then yeah, most likely, I agree with you, we're going to need these things because just the simple condition of being a human is, it's dukkha, it's the first noble truth. It's a sense of dis-ease in your life. And dis-ease, we have to heal our disease with these medicines. So yes, man, 100%, I agree with you. Um, makes a lot of sense i think though i don't know someday yeah like you said that we might reach a part in the cycle where we're not going to need those and we're going to be aligned we're going we'll have this like i guess maybe heaven on earth some would say but maybe yeah we'll, we'll just go back into the cycle reach the dark ages i don't know man it's all just this flow it's all just a cycle <laughs> that's really zooming out at the, the picture of this universe, you know, that's a, that's a, a viewpoint that is um, hard for a lot of people to see. Like the, you know, the yugas, like Kali Yuga, Sat Yuga, that the, the enormity of time, the enormity of our universe is a viewpoint that is, um, it's like when you look at life like that and life more than just your life, like life in general, like consciousness, the evolution of consciousness, it, I guess it gives more of a glimpse into the, the the cycles like how this is just one giant cycle if what they say is true with the yugas and we have, we go through different ages of our consciousness it gives a little bit more credence to the idea of cycles and we don't pay attention to cycles at a, a large 
like cycles don't really make sense to like a, a, a large array of time. Um, but yeah, if you, if you're able to zoom out and, and kind of do that, which may seem a little scary, it makes sense that, yeah, we're just, we're just on the flow. This is all just the, we're all just on the flow of life, on down, floating down the river of life. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I think it's a sense of liberation. Like, how do you feel now that you know that this is like a thing that not that, not that it's like a thing, but now that you have this idea of your humanly vessel, do you feel like a sense of, do you feel more at peace? Like, do you feel like more placement in this world? Like a, a sense of um, purpose, like I said? Well, I think like you said, that <clears throat> that idea of perspective is, is super, super valuable. And it's something that we often uh, forget about. Um, and I think that's why all of these teachings are so important because they do give us perspective. Like you're mentioning the yugas, uh, you know, these, these, these tremendous amount of times of cycle, you know, 20, 25,000 years being, a, a, you know, a, a, a great year, a great cycle. I mean, that's, that's hard for anyone to imagine. And yet these people were pointing towards that a long, long time ago. And even in the Vedas, at the end of the Vedas, they say, or, or so this is what the ancient ones told us. And, and I think for many people, that's just, that makes no sense that, that there was all of this knowledge a long time ago. And according to them, there was even a higher knowledge before that, that they were being taught. And I think, like you said, uh, you know, so much of our disease comes from not putting things in perspective, not looking at things from a, from a, a bigger angle. And, and when we do that, it's very easy to get lost in the, in the details and we forget about the bigger picture. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's very symptomatic of, of a lot of illness and a lot of disease is as we become more specialized, we lose the, the general practitioners, we lose the doctors who can see things, not just in the minute, but who can see it from a, a wider expanse. And to say, oh yes, like I recognize that problem, but that problem also isn't inherently just a symptom of that problem. It's also coming from something from a bigger lens. Mm -hmm. And so how do we treat that in a bigger lens? And then hopefully that symptom begins to go away. But if we're just constantly trying to treat the symptom, we forget about what's inherently behind that. And um, I, I think that's what one of the, the the real beauties of these plant medicines are, as, as you were also pointing towards, is this sense of really connecting us to nature. And it's also a very common theme that you see in a lot of spirituality or religious traditions is this idea of being very wary of idolatry. Because when we begin to worship idols, we become lost in the minute, we become lost in the literal, and we forget the allegorical, we forget the, the, the bigger picture of what these things are actually pointing towards. And then we get lost in the identification of, well, this statue is God, or, you know, this book is literal truth, and we have to follow it to the T, otherwise, uh, we're going to go to hell. And I think what these plants are also pointing towards is this deep connection to nature and to natural principles. And those principles transcend time and space. They're, they're not just of this era, they're of epochs and epochs and of time and space and time immemorial. 
And if we can begin to learn from those, then we can begin to apply those in the here and now in a much more principled way and a much more uh, in a way that embodies wisdom. So I think to answer your question, I think ultimately any of these practices and certainly plant medicine, if we go into it really deeply, again, with that true desire and that true knowledge to understand, we can be left with a sense of peace because even in the, in the chaos, we can see that, that that's also part of these cycles. And it's also, it's, it's a, it's a small blip in the, in the history of time and space. And, and that, that we've gone through cycles that are far greater, far more impactful uh, than what we may be going through now. And that's not that, again, we don't take action or we, we don't become very impassioned about something because we can, because from a higher place, we can see like, oh, this thing is out of alignment with natural principle, with natural law. Therefore, it's not life-giving. It's not life-serving. So how can I take a stance that's in support of life, that's in support of union, that's in support of love? but base that on these much bigger principles on this much bigger understanding. Um, and like anything, it's, you know, I think even like these ideas of enlightenment have, have really been misconstrued as something permanent. And again, if, if we look at the laws of nature, one of the laws is that nothing is permanent. Everything is fleeting. Everything has a birth and a death to it. And so this idea that, you know, like, any of us are just sitting like in an ultimate state of peace or happiness is also out of alignment with nature, with truth, and that always we're going to be tested. And, you know, and it's a constant practice of coming back to the center, coming back to the center, coming back to the center. And, but if we can cultivate those things, if we can learn from those things, then that practice becomes easier and we're better able to do that. Um, but it's never inherently something where, you know, even the Buddha, like he, he wasn't just sitting on some mountaintop, uh, just in a state of bliss. He, he realized that his mission was to go back out into the people and to be with the people to teach much like a shaman or a curandero. Like they're not just sitting in the middle of the woods somewhere, uh, in a state of ecstasy. Like they realize that in this human form, their goal is to help, to, to, to go into the shit. I mean, you know, literally, like <laughs> if you're working with ayahuasca, you're dealing with shit, you're dealing with vomit, you're dealing with pain, you're dealing with suffering. And those are things that sometimes you, you take on that you have to constantly go into to constantly try and bring order to. And it's, it's not inherently just some, you know, la la woo woo, like I'm sitting here in, in the state of peace. It's, it, it's of this earth. It's, it's of this world. It's, it's, it's really dancing and flowing with all of these different things that, that arise. Mm. Yeah. Well said, man. Amen. I like how you said, um, bring order. You're going to bring order or something. I think that's a good word. Like you kind of like this, this world is chaos. It is a very chaos, you know, it is, it is of chaos, but there's a certain, that alignment we're talking about is a certain, sense of bringing a sense of orderliness into this world and it's through love I, I think i like to think that love is order in the chaos there's some kind of like there's some kind of like connection there's something about the love that you cultivate for other people that it, i don't know it's just for me it just yeah there is like a certain order it's a good word <laughs> i'll just keep it at that mm -hmm. oh man do you um I mean, I think we could probably wrap it up at that. You know, the journey is the destination. I guess we could probably 
say as the last words. Do you have anything that you'd like to say to the world before we wrap it up? No, just, uh, you know, I think anyone like yourself who's doing this work is, is bringing order, is, is, is doing just that, is by, by that act of sharing, by that act of, of trying to teach, of listening, uh, we are bringing order to the world and, and trying to promote that, that love and that union and, and an understanding. And, and I think that's super important, especially in the time we're in, where there is so much confusion and, and so much of this sense of I know and, and that I know mind wants to control and to, uh, to bring order, not out of a state of love, but out of a state of control and force and power. Mm -hmm. And, and I think sharing from these places is so beautiful because it is about self-empowerment and it's about, uh, you know, really honoring life and all of its manifestations and all of its beauty and, and really understanding and flowing with that. So, yeah, I think it's great what you're doing. And, and, you know, also if, if people are interested in working with plants, uh, as we said in the beginning, I, I think it is super important to, to find a really good set and setting, especially with some of these more powerful plants. Um, it, it, it makes all the difference in the world. So finding good people to work with, uh, finding a good setting, um, and, and really, really making sure that you want to, that, that there is that calling there, uh, like a deeper calling to really go into it because the, the benefits can, can be tremendous. And, and it's also not for everyone and it's not for everyone in every moment of their life. You know, much like we were talking about Ulysses and, and, the, and you know, the Dionysian rites, there, there was a time and a place in one's life to do that and, and to really prepare oneself and, and to have that deep desire to go into it. And when we have that, uh, these things can be absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, like you were saying, like literally rewiring our brain, making us look at things differently. And, and that's a beautiful thing, but, but also a thing to, to really be respectful of. So uh, finding good people, finding a good place and, and, and finding uh, uh, people who, who, who do really good work. Mm -hmm. Amen. Finding that good energy, you know, I feel like we know deep down what's best for us in our heart. Like there's some kind of intuitive guidance that shows us the way. Like we don't want to chase the experience necessarily. We don't want to chase the high per se. We want to chase the change, chase the order. Like, you know, we know like there's some kind of, there's some kind of feeling. And I guess, I mean, I can recognize it. I don't know about you, but I think it's, before we go into these experiences, definitely take the time for yourself to maybe practice a little bit of meditation, I would recommend, you know, like kind of dive in yourself first on the regular and be able to find a little bit of quiet time in your own mind and almost like uh, prepare yourself before you go into these um, very amazing ecstatic experiences of the mind. That's what I would have to recommend. Set and setting, very important, extremely important. Um, but yeah, thank you, Jason, so much for coming on here. This is a wonderful conversation. You are a very wise man. Um, I appreciate your energy and your time coming on here on the mic and in front of the camera. Um, other than that, yeah, let's keep doing our thing. Let's uh, keep spreading the good word, I guess. <laughs> let's keep learning. Let's always keep learning. That's that's key. Always we're not, we don't always know everything. I think it's there's a certain sense of curiosity. Curiosity goes a long way in today's world. We like to think, like you said, we know everything and we, we, we got it all figured out. We have Google, we got Wikipedia. That's it. We, we know all about the world and this universe, but it's, that's far from the truth, y'all. <laughs> we have a long way to go, but the, the journey 
is the destination. I think we can kind of, kind of keep it at that. You know, find the flow, go with the flow of life, and you'll be all you'll be all right. We're all gonna be all right. Uh, My pleasure, Gary. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I I appreciate the time, and I wish you all the best. And uh, and and we'll keep in touch. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good to me. Um, Other than that, have a good day. Have a good day to everybody that listened. Namaste. Peace out.